Yes, back to free weed. Thank you to DJ Shock and Winstrong. Yeah, that was weird. I'm glad we're back. <laughs> I wonder Whoa. how many people we caught off guard with the uh, the new song. But uh, yeah, we're back with the free weed, and this is episode number 59. Very excited about this one. We're going to talk about Barcelona. We're going to do some news. Uh, we're going to go over my my top 10 uh, marijuana related books, uh, literature pieces of literature <laughs> we're going to do the strain of the fortnight we're going to talk about the life cycle of cannabis and uh take some questions and answers and that's uh the well, rundown give answers give answers to, to questions, questions that were asked by, by listeners listeners absolutely and uh yeah that's going to be episode 59 so stick around and uh hope you guys enjoy All right, here, so here we are, episode 59 of Free Weed. I hope you guys enjoyed episode 58, the free hash episode. Yeah, I got some feedback on that one, man. Yeah, that yeah, seemed well-received. Cool For sure, yeah. We'll have to do that again sometime when we get uh, some hash peeps together. And a funny little shout-out to DJ Jacques and Winstrong, who did the free hash song as well as the free weed song. They just sent us an updated version of free hash, so we are definitely going to be doing that again at absolutely, some point. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of free hash... I just got back from Spanibus. Yeah, how was that? I was, uh, I wasn't there with you. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. staycation. <laughs> <laughs> we just get, wanted to give you some time to think things through. Think things I, thought, over. I thought really hard. <laughs> so what was uh, what was Spanibus like? It was great. It was a wonderful event uh, in Barcelona. Great food, great everything over there. Uh, Bali. Pretty amazing. Bali, Bali. Bali, Bali. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Dabadoo event that Mila put on was, was wonderful. Um, got to meet Howard Marks, uh, Mr. Nice. And, nice. Yeah, a bunch of people over there, a bunch of old friends, a bunch of new friends. Yeah, so who uh, who did some presentations over there? Who who was like a big presence at Spanibus? Wow, I mean, uh, there was a bunch of people there. I mean, I got to hang with uh, Big Buddha, who's been on the show. Scott from Rare Dankness was over there. Tony uh, from River Rock. A lot of our people from the show, Soma. Uh, Luke from Paradise Seeds, Simon from Sirius Seeds, you know, the, the, the European contingent. And then uh, what's cool is, uh, you know, a lot of the Americans and Canadians, uh, Bubble Man was over there. A lot of the, you know, the people at the forefront of, of the sort of hash revolution, the concentrate uh, thing that's going on, were there. And, uh, you know, just that exchange of information from Europe to America and Canada and, you know, all these people from all over, uh, you know, the the diaspora of you know marijuana culture getting together in one place and 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 sharing information is just a, a wonderful thing for all of us and well and you know I've, I've heard some people refer to it as like sort of amsterdam uh south you know like our cannabis cup south but it's not that's not exactly right this is its own kind of vibe and feel yeah. right yeah they don't have coffee shops in the way that amsterdam does where tourists can just walk right in but they do have social clubs and I mean, now there's over there's hundreds of them at this point, several hundred at least. And uh, they're private social clubs. You know, you have to join. Uh, you give them your information. Uh, some of them have a fee to join, and you basically sign an agreement that, uh, you know, you're joining a private club where people consume cannabis, and you have no problem with that. And uh, and so it becomes this private club situation that you know you can join as long as you. Uh, are okay with people smoking and consuming cannabis in your presence. Which and if you're not, you probably don't want to join. Exactly. So, and it's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, in a nice way that they have of, uh, you know, creating these spaces, uh, comfortable places where people can smoke. And what's funny is uh, there's not a lot of sales. I mean, mostly it's people who grow their, their own stuff showing up and uh, smoking it with their friends and sharing it and you know, he grew this, and this guy grew that, and this uh, girl grew that, and they all get together and share, and it's really wonderful uh, the way that works out, because that's really the concept of free weed. I mean, if you grow it yourself, 
you know, you, there's only so many flavors you can grow. Um, maybe your friend down the road grows something you'd like to smoke and you share it with them. And that's really the concept of the, the cannabis social club that they have there. And, and you and I, we were fortunate to check out some of those clubs last uh, spring. We yeah. went to Sibaritas and also uh, Roots. Yeah. So did you get a chance to check any other clubs out or were you pretty much just at the convention? Yeah, it was a short trip. You know, I was there four days. I would have loved to have visited some clubs uh, you know, Strain Hunters, Arian, and our old friends at Greenhouse, they started a club uh, while we were there. Uh, of course, I was at Resin uh, Club for the Dabadoo event that Mila put on, which was wonderful. We basically, in, you know, short period, three, three and a half hours, we taste, uh, tasted, I think it was 11 uh, BHOs and 10 solventless uh, strain, you know, strains of hash and picked a winner and that was really exciting and people were people were psyched i mean you know 60 to 100 people n- much smaller than our usual sort of cup situation so it was an intimate affair and uh, a lot of fun yeah that sounds really good and now i know that there's the expo part where people get to kind of show off what they you know what they're selling or what they're you know kind of pushing but also uh, is it like the cannabis cup in that there is a competition attached to it they do. They do have a competition with uh, some judges that they pick. And the, hey, what's cool, the judges get their kits um, for like a month. You know, it's something we could never do with our events because they're so much bigger. But um, with a smaller event that like like what they do um, and fewer judges and fewer entrants, they, they're able to get people their samples earlier and people uh, can actually take a good uh, month, you know, to pick out what they like. Uh, they don't give them as much as we give them, and you know, but they do give them more time. So, you know, it's it's an interesting variation on how uh, cups are done, and you know, uh, you know, anything we can learn from from them or they can learn from us is a great thing in order to basically improve the quality of cannabis and and concentrates and solventless for edibles and topicals and all those things for everybody. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Indeed. So uh, we're going to move on and talk about some news. But before we do, you were over there uh, working with, uh, who was this? Cannabis Network? Cannabis Cannabis Network Radio, which you can check out at uh, cannetradio.com. And yeah, my friend Dave uh, over there took, uh, sent, sent, you know, us over there to basically do some recording for Cannabis Network Radio, upon which uh, Freeweed plays, as well as a bunch of other great uh, marijuana-related materials, so check them out at cannetradio.com. All right, well... It is Thursday, March 20th, and this is a mini High Times News Hit. Dan, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of stories that are in the news, and you're going to give me your take on them. What do you say? Sounds great. All right, let's do it. There is a bill to ban BHO in California. I don't understand why they'd want to do this, but State Senator Lou Carrera, he, uh, he is the sponsor of a bill which states under no circumstances shall a physician and surgeon recommend butane hash oil. Now, this bill is being pushed by the California Police Chiefs Association, and they recommended to Carrera that physicians may not recommend high-concentrate derivatives such as BHO, a chemical derivative of marijuana that can contain 80% THC to anyone. So basically their point here, the uh, California Police Chiefs Association, they are saying that it's not appropriate to include uh, to be included in what voters thought they were voting for with Proposition 215 in 1996, meaning in 1996, uh, California voters weren't aware of this BHO phenomenon and maybe they wouldn't have passed the law if that existed. So what do you think about this bill that would basically ban BHO? Uh, Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, I honestly. All right, moving on. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's silly. I think people are overreacting. I think that uh, what they're doing in Denver with the regulations is a much uh, more reasonable option. You know, make sure that the product is created in a safe manner. Make sure it's distributed in a safe manner. But people need it. I know medical patients who need their dabs, and that's a fact. I mean, that's not that's indisputable, and doctors should be able to prescribe it. So yeah, I'm. B-O-O on the N-O-B-H-O bill is my... Uh, <laughs> I got it. Boo on the B-H-O ban bill. Yeah, the O is silent. I mean, the H is silent. <laughs> the H is silent. I'm booing that bill. I got it. All right. Thumbs anyway, down from Danko. Yeah. And, and you know, who are our police chiefs to be deciding this stuff anyways? I mean, if anything, let the people decide. This is a democracy, and we voted for that. So, 
you know, well, what do you think about that? Their point is that we didn't vote for that or Californians didn't vote for that. You know what I mean? They're basically saying that this. Well, let's have a vote. You know what I mean? Like either way, uh, you know, people should decide. Doctors should decide. Certainly police chiefs should not be deciding. I mean, their job is to uphold the law, whatever that law might be. So we're going to make the law the way we want it and you just simply uphold it. But they're not supposed to be writing laws or changing laws or any of that. And do you, do you think there's anything to the idea that um, basically that people in California have uh, law enforcement, they've resisted putting regulations on, you know, these dispensaries on what was going on with medical pot for the longest time because it would lend some sort of legitimacy to what's been going on there. But now they're dying. They're tripping over themselves to get a bill passed regulating this market because they're, they want to use it to ban BHO. I mean, it just seems kind of, uh, you know, a little duplicitous. Yeah, absolutely. I like that word, duplicitous. Thank you. All right, let's move on to our next story. Uh, We are going to Michigan, and uh, the Michigan Court of Appeals is going to hear the cases of two medical pot patients who were fired from their jobs for smoking pot legally and then denied unemployment benefits. Uh, Basically, judges already found in favor of these people saying they should receive unemployment. But uh, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, a pretty powerful pro-business group in Michigan, is uh, is pushing this before the appeals court, and the appeals court's going to decide, first of all, if it's okay for a pl- an employee to be fired for legally smoking medical pot, and then if they are, whether it's legal to deny them unemployment benefits. And according to the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, it puts employers in a no-win situation. Employers will be forced to either ignore known drug use and jeopardize workplace safety, or discharge those employees and pay their unemployment benefits, and subsequently pay higher unemployment taxes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's no correlation between people smoking marijuana and any kind of uh, problems in the workplace, as far as I know. So uh, I say the the best result of this is don't fire your employees for smoking pot. Fire them for incompetence or anything of that nature. And, uh, and if you do fire them, you have to pay unemployment. I mean, that's just the way it is. So... Um, you know, the way I see it, you know, the whole, th- the whole thing is flawed because they're implying that like, you know, some, that this drug use is somehow like, what's the wording there that, that the, the uh, it's going to, you know, jeopardize workplace safety. They're yeah, saying. I'm yeah. sorry. It doesn't jeopardize workplace safety. So the whole thing is flawed, but you know, firing someone for using medical marijuana is wrong. And then not, you know, denying that person unemployment benefits after you wrongfully fire them is wrong too. So I say just, you know, hire more stoners. You know, there's a lot of productive stoners out there that work hard at their jobs. I know I know that. Otherwise, we'd all be unemployed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, find a better reason to fire somebody. I, you know, if you really, if that's the type of person you are. But if they're working hard and they're uh, succeeding at their job and doing well for your business, uh, what they do on the weekends and what they do in the evenings is really none of your concern. Well, and, and even more kind of fine-tuned, it's not really about what they need to do on the weekends. This is medical marijuana, and Michigan right. voters legalized medical pot back in 2008. Right. And, you know, we're talking in this one case about someone named Janine Kemp, and she's a CT scan technician, suffers from lupus, and she was fired after testing positive for pot that she is smoking legally. It's state-sanctioned medicine, right. and she's being fired for it. So That's total bullshit. It is. And, you know, forcing employees to choose between a job and medicine that's helping them get through their, you know, illness, I think, is, is kind of reprehensible. Yes. Okay. I agree. And duplicitous. Duplicitous as well. Nice. Okay. Um, you know what has been in the news a lot lately is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and... Uh, Michigan actually just added it to their list of qualifying conditions to get your medical card there. But uh, the bigger story about PTSD is that the government might be relenting on a study about pot. Now, as anyone who follows pot knows, it's a Schedule One narcotic, and it's very notoriously difficult to uh, get the right to study it if you're you know, a scientist or you're you know, working at a university. The government very tightly controls who can do these studies and who can't. So the University of Arizona College of Medicine, and also working in conjunction with uh, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, they've been petitioning the government to do a study on PTSD. And finally, the Public Health Service, in conjunction with uh, the, what is it, the uh, National Institute on Drug Abuse, 
they're recommending that they're allowed to do this study. Now, now it still has to be approved by the DEA, but that's a huge change in policy for, for NIDA and for the public health service. Yeah, yeah, massive and so important right now, particularly because we're losing veterans. Um, obviously, veterans aren't the only people who suffer from PTSD, but they are obvi- you know, obviously suffering from it at a much higher rate than, uh, than other people. And they're coming home now from Iraq and Afghanistan, and they need help. And booze and prescription drugs and all of that is not helping them at all. So we really – I can't tell you how many veterans I've spoken to for whom marijuana works for their PTSD. Now, that's not to say it works for every one of them, and uh, you know, but these studies have to happen, and this is really important. These guys are – we owe them a lot. We owe them our freedom. We owe them – Uh, whatever it is we owe them for the things that they do so that we live the way we live and they worked hard they did things that uh, some of us would just not be capable of doing in order to complete the tasks that they at hand and um, basically uh, you know to deny them marijuana for their PTSD is egregious duplicitous and uh, absolutely despicable reprehensible reprehensible and i mean it, it just the mind boggles at the idea that uh you know these guys can basically take any kind of prescription drugs they can drink themselves into a stupor they can do all these things um that are so harmful and yet they can't smoke pot which uh you know in some cases helps them and i i just appeal to any veteran out there you know do what do whatever it is that you can to gain access to uh, medical marijuana, get to a place where you can you can get it for PTSD and use it and try it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least give it a shot, give it a chance, and um, yeah. And uh, you know, congratulations to Maps for really sticking with this when other people might have given up because it's a very difficult process getting this kind of approval from the government. Yeah, thank you to Rick Doblin and all the people at Maps uh, that make that happen. If you can check them out, I believe it's Maps.org. Yes, and just one other point before we move off of this. Uh, it, like I mentioned before, the uh, the DEA still has to sign off on this trial, which unfortunately it says in the story here that the uh, the study investigators don't expect that to uh, the DEA to halt the trial from finally moving forward. I I applaud their uh, optimism, but I don't understand why they would think that the DEA is going to relent on this. So we'll see what happens there. You know, uh, what I would say about that also, something people don't think about, because, you know, obviously we're at such odds with the DEA. But the truth of the matter is, is that DEA agents suffer from PTSD, too. You know, they're they're in situations uh, just like military situations. And whether we agree with what it is that they're doing or not, they suffer from PTSD too, and marijuana could help them too. So you wreck enough lives, you shoot enough dogs, it's probably going to catch up to you at some point. Anyway, that was the uh, Times News Hit for Thursday, March 20th. We're going to take a little break and come back with Dan's top 10 pot books. Absolutely. All right, guys, I know you want to grow your own, and you already know how to start. You get a BC Northern Lights grow box, all right? These guys have been around since 2001, teaching people how to grow and giving them the tools with which to grow. They have all of the different options. You can grow four plants, eight plants, ten plants, mother plants, clones, vegging plants. Everything to be self-sufficient and smoke what you want, when you want, is available from BC Northern Lights. You can call them anytime, 888-236-1266. You can check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. You know you want to grow. These are fully automated grow boxes. They are touchscreen technology. They have everything you need to be fully self-sufficient. No swag ever. And you know what? You deserve one of these grow boxes, right? And if you tell them that Free Weed from Danny Danko sent you, They will give you six months of free nutrients. So check them out at bcnorthernlights.com or give them a call at 888-236-1266. That's 888-236-1266. And be sure to tell them that High Times presents free weed from Danny Danko sent you. (laughs) 
So uh, we are skipping the interview, but in the interview section this week, Dan has a special top 10 for you guys, right? Yeah, I'm going to list off uh, my favorite marijuana books of all time. Basically, if you're going to stock your shelf with uh, some books, some grow books, some some basic uh, um, in- informational books, these are the 10. And you can actually check them out on Amazon.com. I made a list. A listicle? That's the popular word now. Listicle? <laughs> well, is I'm, it a listicle or is it actually a list? Uh, it's t- my top 10 marijuana books of all time at Amazon. Because a they, listicle is like a list crossed with an article. Well, the, here they call it list mania. That's Ooh. what they call it. So all right. I'm going to go with that. It's my list mania list of the best marijuana books of all time. Yeah, let's have it. So are you going to count down? Like, uh, is Should it, I do that? Yeah. Let's I'll start count. from 10 then. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty gratuitous, but the 10th one is my book, The Official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains by Danny Danko. Wait, well, your book made the list? Look, it's my <laughs> list. <laughs> this is my list. At least you're number 10 and not number 1. I'm I like number that. 10. Okay. All right. I'm almost And it's off a fine book. It's a fine book. So let's let's have it. What is it? There's more on this list than that. You wanted me to start at 10. 10 let's start book. at 10. All right. The Official High Times Field Guide to Marijuana Strains by me, Danny Danko. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the 10th one. And anyway. I, I will just shout that out. I'm holding it right now. It's a it's a great book. There's some really cool info and really good photos in it, so definitely pick that up. All right, yep. that's number 10. Anyway, gang, number nine, Marijuana Indoors, Five Easy Gardens by Jorge Cervantes. A wonderful look at different ways to grow. I always sort of emphasize that there's no one particular way you need to grow. People are always asking, what's the best? What's the one? What's the way? There's different ways for different people and, and, and different results that you're looking for. So uh, it's nice to see Five Easy Gardens by Jorge describing um, the ups and downs of some gardens. So that's a good one. Number eight, another Jorge classic, Marijuana Grow Basics, The Easy Guide for Cannabis Aficionados. This is like simple to understand, easy to read, great beginner grow book that just goes over the basics and doesn't overwhelm you with information. That's number eight. Uh, again, these are on Amazon as well at my list mania list. Uh, and there's more than 10, so you can check out the other ones there too. All right, number seven. Number seven by my colleague, Mr. David Bienenstock, the official High Times Pot Smokers Handbook featuring 420 things to do when you're stoned. There are a ton of interesting facts, uh, stories, and musing, musings on the subject of marijuana from uh, uh, my colleague, David Bienenstock. So that's a great book. Also available at the headshop.hightimes.com if you don't want to feed the Amazon monster. Indeed. Number six. <laughs> Number six. A book that I contributed to, but not my book. I have a chapter in this. This is The Pot Book, A Complete Guide to Cannabis by Dr. Julie Holland or Julie Holland, MD. Either one. What's your uh, chapter about? Um, kind of the just the new era of marijuana, um, you know, how people are growing it, what's going to happen, sort of a prediction about the future and a, uh, you know, basically a, a, a essay on where, th- where we are now and where we're going to be in the future. But it was written a few years ago. So actually, it's about where we were and where we are now. <laughs> but still worth a read. But yeah, okay. well worth a read. And there's incredible essays in there by uh, luminaries of marijuana literature. So that was fun. All right. Number five. Number five is hashish exclamation point. I love the exclamation point uh, because that's how I feel about hashish myself. And that's by Robert Connell Clark, someone uh, very well respected in the cannabis world. And I don't think a better compendium exists at all on the history and manufacture of hashish. So... Uh, kudos to Robert Connell Clark and get yourself that book for a full understanding of the history of hashish, how it's made now, how it um, was done. And I believe it's been re uh, reissued with new chapters about uh, things that are happening now in the hash world. So check that one out. And remember the exclamation mark mark as well, because that's important. Okay. Number four. <laughs> four is Marijuana Reconsidered by uh, Dr. Lester Grinspoon. This is a Harvard associate professor who we've had on the show, of course, and a wonderful uh, man and a great researcher for cannabis, examining the prohibition of cannabis and basically, um, you know, questioning the 
prohibition of marijuana based on Carl Sagan basically telling him to do some research and find out for himself and going to the Harvard Library and finding out the truth and revealing that truth uh, to his own, you know, academic detriment in some ways. But yet uh, we know and love him as the author of Marijuana Reconsidered. And that leads us to number three, which is Marijuana, the Forbidden Medicine, also by Lester Grinspoon, the first uh, original treatise, I should say, on medical marijuana um, from the 70s. You know, the, the basically putting medical marijuana on the map, naming, putting the words medical and marijuana together for the first time uh, way back when. So kudos again to Dr. Lester Grinspoon, and that's the number three book. Number two, Marijuana Horticulture, the Indoor-Outdoor Medical Growers Bible by Jorge Cervantes. This is a comprehensive and definitive grow book by the greatest cannabis cultivation writer of all time, a mentor and a wonderful friend, Jorge Cervantes' Marijuana Horticulture. A huge section in the middle with wonderful color photographs of every uh, deficiency you might ever see and how to treat it and all kinds of information about growing well worth its price. So get yourself that. That's basically known as the Bible uh, when you're talking to growers like me or anyone of that same ilk. Of your ilk? Of How many ilk. people are of your ilk? A few. You're the Danny Danko. Dozens. Okay. Hundreds. All right. Well, Jorge's uh, uh, Grow Bible is number two, but what is number one? Number one, of course, I think people probably already might know this. But if you haven't heard it yet, yeah. The Emperor Wears No Clothes. Hemp and the Marijuana Conspiracy by Jack Herrer. Not Herrer. Pronounced Herrer and mm -hmm. rhymes with terror as he always lovingly uh, barked at anyone who <laughs> mispronounced his name. <laughs> this is the book that changed everything for everyone. I would imagine uh, Jack Herrer proves the conspiracy against hemp and marijuana in the book. That's a must read for any cannabis enthusiast. Uh, you know, it's, it's the whole history of why... Uh, why people were so afraid of this plant, why they're still afraid of it, and why ultimately this plant will succeed and persevere, and we are but its servants. Indeed. <laughs> so that's that's Danny Danko's top 10 pot books. Where can they find that list? Amazon, Listmania. I guess if you search for Danny Danko, Listmania, Amazon, you will see the list, and there are more than 10. Yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, let's see how far we, how far I, I went with this. Jeez. Oh, 40. 40. Yeah. All nice. right. Well, thank you for that list. Everybody should go and get that pot literature as soon as they can. Uh, what do you say we take a little break and then come back with our cultivation segment? Let's do it. All right, you guys. You need seeds, and everybody's always asking me where to get them. And Gorilla Cannabis Seed Bank is the place to go. They have worldwide delivery. They're going to give you free seeds for every order. It's 100% discreet and stealthy shipping, uh, really good prices, and eco-friendly packaging, which, you know, is an added bonus. They have a really impressive roster of seed banks that they work with and pretty much anything you want. Regular seeds, feminized seeds, auto-flowering seeds. They got it all. Uh, they will ship to the U.S. They will ship to wherever you might be, to be honest. You could be in Argentina. They will ship there too. So, um, yeah, that's the cool thing about podcasts. They go everywhere, and so do these seeds. And so check them out at gorilla-cannabis-seeds.co.uk. That's gorilla-cannabis-seeds.co.uk. Uh, on there they have the uh, international phone numbers. You can call them if, you're, uh, if you've got some questions for them. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Um, check them out. Like them on Facebook. Tell them Free Weed sent you. Uh, we love them as a sponsor. We're happy to have a seed bank behind this podcast. So uh, check them out and keep it gorilla. Has it been a fortnight already, Mike? It has indeed. And that, of course, means that we will give the audience strain of the fortnight. But first, a quick question from James. He writes, is it safe to have Gorilla Seed Bank send seeds to your home? Uh, you know, it's as safe as uh, any other gray market thing that you do. Uh, I wouldn't have the seeds delivered to the place you plan to grow. Um, but, you know, there's a, it's, you know, uh, there's not a lot of tracking of seeds going on uh, unless you're in a really, really uh, bad place to grow, which in which case you probably should not be growing and you should move to 
a more favorable place to do that. Um, so yeah, it's relatively safe. Uh, the worst case, I think, is you get a letter saying that your seeds were confiscated, and that's a you know unpleasant thing to have happen, but uh, certainly not a, a uh, um, devastating thing. So um, that's what I would say about that. Makes sense. Let's yeah. move on to our cultivation segment and our strain of the Fortnite. Yeah, and this one I chose in particular because it's uh, just a short time after uh, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, sometimes people tend to imbibe in uh, some alcoholic beverages, so I wanted a strain um, that would help with hangovers. Mm. Um, you know, obviously you want to hydrate, you want to have a nice tall glass of ice-cold water, uh, but what pot uh, would help? And I think uh, one of the strains that I would like to, like to, to mention in that regard would be the Burmese Kush. Um, also known as the Buku. We call it the Buku sometimes. Uh, that's a TH seed strain. Uh, very strong Kush. Uh, it was High Times Top 10 strain in 2007. Um, you know, just really amazing Cali genetics that were brought over to Amsterdam. Uh, really resinous, uh, very flavorful, um, very much like the OG Kush. That's the clone only strain in the Southern California area. So, uh, you know, there's the, the, those telltale kind of dark green leaves, almost waxy green leaves, uh, that piney flavor that's, that's in the Kush family of strains, and, uh, you know, that tart diesel kind of fuel uh, thing that's going on there, which is a great, but uh, the high is really what you're after, and it's a really euphoric, um, very up high for something that's uh, not very sativa dominant. Um, short flowering time, easy to trim, uh, now you know why we're cuckoo for buku. Oh, <laughs> ouch! Yeah, and uh, I talked to rough. Adam. I talked to Adam from TH Seeds. He's been on the show before. Uh, he's actually got a great show uh, as well on iCannabis Radio, the Adam Dunn Show. So check him out there. Um, but he talks about uh, the best way to do this with an, a nice clean bong filled with ice cold water. So um, that sounds like a, like a nice wake and bake session for the morning after St. Patty's Day. And, uh, yeah, so check it out, Burmese Kush, uh, thseeds.com. It is Burmese Kush crossed with the OG Kush with a seven- to eight-week flowering time. And, uh, yeah, TH Seeds, Buku. Buku. And you know what? You look to me like the kind of guy who probably has a home hangover remedy. Like, you know one of those guys who's like, hey, you, you break an egg and you throw some cayenne pepper in there and then you, you pour it down your nose or something crazy. I, I feel like you're that guy. Well, to be honest, I mean, you just have to hydrate. Um, hangovers are about uh, dehydration. If you drink a lot of water, and I don't mean like the morning after, but the night that you're drinking. So for every glass of wine or whatever it is you're, you're going to have, you have a tall glass of water, um, you're going to end up peeing a lot. Right, but, but uh, you will reduce the uh, effects of a, of a hangover. A lot of times, people just forget to drink water. Yeah, because they're drinking booze. I mean, there's also probably some crazy, greasy brunch type, you know, thing that you can do. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about? Those guys who are like, you know, hey, if you drink this, you know, right? It's like it's mucinex, but also with like some kind of crazy, you know, paprika yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the same thing for me, like with pest uh, pest control and prevention, you know. Uh, you got to act ahead of time. You got to do preventive, take preventative steps to ah. avoid hangovers altogether, rather than reacting to an existing hangover. Makes sense. All right. Well, cool. <laughs> so the Burmese Kush is our strain of the Fortnite for this uh, Fortnite, and we have a pretty cool little segment here. You wanted to do sort of a the life of pot, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I watched the Cosmos thing with Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, the the revamp of the great Carl Sagan Cosmos show, and you know, he kind of tries to break things down into simple, uh, simple equations. So I kind of wanted to just go through the life cycle of a single cannabis plant, um, basically starting from a rooted clone or a seedling that is now uh, popped out of the soil or soilless mix. Um, so we'll start there. At this point, you have a plant that's very small and it has a very small root system. So you really have to be very careful uh, to allow that root system to spread without overlogging it with water or letting it dry out too much. Um, so you're at a very uh, important stage in which to uh, water the water the plant and then allow that uh, to almost dry out and then water it again and watch the roots uh, expand into the medium. Now at this point, most likely your medium is going to have nutrients in it. So you're using e either just plain water or a very mild 
you know, high nitrogen uh, vegetative solution with your waterings. And you're going to want to use plain water in between wa uh, waterings with that solution because it's an important time not to burn the plant. plant can't really take in that much nutrient anyway because it doesn't have a lot of root system. A um, couple of weeks go by of that. Um, always make sure that the light is low. Don't let the plant at this point stretch too towards a light, um, but let it stay short and stocky at this point, and then it'll be a stronger plant and a shorter plant in the future. As it's growing, you know, as it's developing its third and fourth set of leaves, that's a time where if you're interested in uh, topping it or using any kind of a fim or any technique um, by which to keep it from growing like a Christmas tree and make it more of a bush kind of uh, profile, basically you can either take off that first growing top or you can bend it down or you can do a number of different, different things with that in order to make the other branches spread out. Now's the time to do that. Um, you're about three to four weeks into your veg vegging stage now and you're ready to start flowering. Now, the transitionary stage here is gonna take about a week and you switch from your, let's say 18 or 20 hours of on uh, per day light to 12 hours on, 12 hours off. Very important not to interrupt the dark cycle with light. Uh, Interrupting the light with darkness, not as uh, horrible, but certainly do not interrupt those 12 hours of darkness at all. Um, if you need to work on your plants, always do it in the light uh, during, during the time when the light is lit. And uh, flowering is going to start at this point. You're going to be feeding your plant, transitioning over into a flowering nutrient, which is higher in phosphorus and potassium uh, and lower in nitrogen. So... Uh, but you also, during this transition, you're not really forming flowers yet, so you, you want to stay mild with that nutrient as well. Now you're in a stage where the plant is, is still stretching, but starting to form uh, little popcorn flowers. Uh, little white hairs should be showing up, and at this point there's not going to be as much lateral upward growth, and there's going to be a lot more flower formation. Uh, about two weeks or so into flowering, you can start bumping up the amount of nutrient that you're giving your plant because it's ready to form flowers and it needs the, that food to convert into those flowers and into the, especially the essential oils that will be produced by those flowers, which is exactly what we're after. That second through the fifth week, uh, you'll see the, the stretch will end, the flower formation will, will be much stronger, and flowers will begin forming up on top of flowers and, and filling out uh, all those branches. And, and that's the great time for additives or any kind of things that you want to uh, you know, boost your, your blooming with uh, at that point, any bat guanos or anything like that, liquid uh, solutions that you want to add. And then you're going to start ramping down your nutrients. Now you're in the seventh and the eighth week. Depending on the strain, if it's a long flowering sativa, you're going to uh, feed it more lightly. And, and, but assuming that you're about, let's say, a, a, let's assume it's about an eight or nine week strain, around the seventh week, you're going to uh, cut the feeding uh, and to you know a quarter of the amount that you were feeding in the second through fifth and sixth week. And then eventually reduce that to just plain water, uh, always testing the water that comes out at the end as well. And you, sh you will see some fall colors. Hopefully you'll see uh, the, the fan leaves will start to go a little yellow, and that's okay. Um, that just means that you're pulling some of that chlorophyll out early, which is great, and it's going to help the buds <coughs> to burn cleaner. Uh, now you're at harvest time, and you're cutting, off, you're cutting down the plant. Uh, I, I, my favorite way is basically to start at the top and uh, cut below the first branch and then use that branch as the, uh, the V of, upon which you, know, you hang that particular branch. So, and you can hold that pretty easily, trim that without having to trim the whole plant at once. Uh, then you hang that up to dry, um, keep in a cool, dark place, keep it you know, well circulated with air because a lot of water is going to come out of that bud. You're going to want about 75% uh, of the water out um, at this point. So uh, when you get to a point where it's uh, popcorn dry on the outside, you can cut those buds off, put them into your opaque glass jars and sweat them or cure them. Um, 
for another couple of weeks at least where you're basically removing the moisture from the middle of the bud out to the outside of the bud and out into the jar um, every day opening the jar up letting some of that moist air out and uh, basically evening it out at a good nice cure um, where it's uh, not bone dry and certainly no wetness at all uh, inherent in there a nice little kind of spongy feel to it and there you have it uh, you've taken it to where uh, you went from your seed and your clone right to where you have a, a, a bud ready to smoke um, you can make hash out of the fan leaves and stuff that you cut off of there too and start your cuttings and clones for your next uh, next round and you're ready to keep going and that's the cycle of life for a cannabis plant all right sounds pretty good the cycle <laughs> of life for a cannabis plant hopefully while dan was uh, taking you through that you were envisioning in your head those budding the leaves and all of the process that goes along with it so uh, thank you for that, Dan. What do you say we go to some uh, my favorite part of the show? Uh, questions from our listeners answered by Danny Danko on Free Weed from Danny Danko. Let's do it. Okay. We got a lot of great um, a great response to that free hash episode, so we appreciate all of that. People really like the uh, the intro song, so thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for that. Yes, absolutely, and we, we hopefully we'll revisit that uh, in a future show for sure. Yeah, no, we uh, we definitely will. So thanks for uh, to everybody who was into the free hatch. Hopefully we'll do that again. But now let's jump to some free weed questions. If you have a question you'd like Dan to answer on air, you can get us a free weed at hightimes.com. Also on Twitter at Danny Danko at my cues underscore hashtag free weed. And that'll get it done. Let's go to John first. Uh, hey, Mike and Danny, I've been listening to the show for the last year. I really enjoy it. I'm a U.S. citizen living in Barcelona, Spain. I'm growing as a hobbyist for the last eight years exclusively outside with feminized seeds. Can you please provide me with some ideas for companion plants, whether they're flowers, fresh herbs, or vegetables, something to help minimize insects? I regularly use a preventative spray like neem oil, but sometimes it's not enough and I'll notice a white fly or a spider mite or some other pest. So uh, he's on a terrace grow under the Spanish sun, and uh, the outdoor season can last six to seven months easily. I normally see pests towards the later months in the growing season. So, so what do you think, companion plants for this guy in Spain? Yeah, uh, I've actually written about this in the past, and I love the use of companion plants, particularly uh, outdoors, uh, because they just help in a lot of ways to control pest populations and, and uh, also to keep them away, you know, to actually actively uh, repel pests. Uh, in particular, marigolds are uh, a flower uh, that people are pretty familiar with. And uh, they keep away uh, white flies very well. Uh, white flies hate marigolds. So uh, if you have a problem with white flies, you can get uh, marigolds in your garden and white flies will stay away. Um, if you have aphids, you can use uh, peppermint, which uh, they do not like. It deters their populations. And uh, spider mites for the dreaded spider mite. Uh, one of my, uh, my people's favorite herbs uh, is dill and dill discourages spider mites. They don't like it, and they don't like being around it. So, um, you know, plant some dill, plant some peppermint, and plant some marigolds among your cannabis plants, and uh, that would be great. If you want to uh, encourage beneficial insects too, you know, you can have uh, ladybugs and, and things like that all around. Um, that's really a permaculture approach to cannabis farming, where you're really just um, having as, as natural of a soil as possible, beneficial bacteria, organic additives, and uh, companion plants. So uh, try those three on for size, I, I would say. Marigolds, peppermint, and dill. All right. And uh, James, we mean this sincerely when we say fuck spider mites. So do your best to, uh, to eliminate those, and hopefully some of those companion plant and insect ideas help you out. Let's move on to high for days, and that's days with a, a D-A-Z-E writes, uh, hey, Danny and Mike, I love the Free Weed podcast. I greatly appreciate the consistent weekly news shows. Well, you know, we try. <laughs> you know, the, the day vary, uh, varies, but, you know, seems to be pretty weekly. Anyway, I have a question I've not been able to answer. I have a personal five to six plant grow. I usually veg for uh, at least five to six weeks, but sometimes let them veg as long as eight weeks. My question is, is there an optimum length of veg time when looking for max yields. For example, if four weeks veg yields 45 grams per plant, would eight weeks of veg generally yield more? If so, how about 10 weeks? What, what do you think as far as yields for uh, how long you're letting it go? Well, uh, you always have to consider that uh, according to the amount of time that you're using as well. So 
yeah, I mean, basically, I always uh, recommend the same amount of vegging time as you have uh, basically gallons of your container up to about, you know, I'd say, you know, the five or, or 10 gallon size. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to veg plants for, for two or three months. It just doesn't make sense because of the timing. You could have grown a whole other crop in the meantime. So uh, for me, I would say, you know, three weeks to a month and a half is pretty much an ideal vegging time. Uh, anything more than that seems to be uh, a little longer than you need to go um, for the amount of plant that you want to get. And uh, any shorter seems like uh, you're just going to end up with uh, not as much of a yield as you could have had. So in a five-gallon bucket, I would go with a five-week veg and then, uh, and then start flowering at that point. And you should be able to fill up that space without being too root-bound and uh, really get the most out of your container. Yeah, but there is a, a ceiling here. I mean, if he's not going to end up getting, you know, necessarily 90 grams per plant if he lets it go an extra four weeks, right? No, no. I mean, you'll you'll get a larger yield, but like I said, you, you're also considering the extra time that you're spending uh, growing those particular plants. If you veg a plant for four weeks and flower it for eight weeks, you know, that's three months. If you veg it for eight weeks and then flower it for eight weeks you've spent four months so that's a month extra that you spent so the yield will be larger but you've taken a full month off of uh you know your yearly cycles and whatever so um considering that like i said i would say you know an average of about four weeks vegging time is a good indoor thing for the average indoor grow and uh you know anytime someone's telling you to veg for three months or something in a big you know, 35 or 50 gallon container indoors, it seems like overkill. Uh, and you're also giving that plant a lot more time to mess up, you know, get be overfed, be overwatered. So, you know, I'd say about a month vegging time is, is pretty much ideal. Okay. Well, thank you, Hi, for days. I hope that helps. And uh, let's move on to Cron Burgundy, which I guess is Ron Burgundy, but chronic, right? Cron <laughs> Burgundy. I like nice. that. Good name. Yeah. First up, big ups to both Danny and Mike Hughes underscore. Thank you for that. Um, okay, uh, when checking with microscopes for ripeness, do you check multiple sites on the same plant, or can you get all the info from a nice top cola? What do you think? Uh, honestly, the top colas are going to mature quicker than lower branches in a lot of cases. So I would look around um, at a few different uh, a few different spots on the plant to determine uh, peak ripeness. I wouldn't just just look at just the top cola. Look at some lower branches. Um, you know, look at those buds, look at the trichomes, not just at the top, but kind of within the, the, the buds as well. And uh, that'll give you the right time to, you know, determine peak harvest time. All right. Thank you, Cron Burgundy. And thank you for that very original name. Let's move on to Big RC, who writes, hey, Double D and Brother Hughes. Now, God damn it, I love it when people call you Double D. That cracks me up. Anyway, <laughs> um, my question is in the drying and curing process. I'm getting good yields on my plants, and they smell amazing when flowering. But when I smoke my finished product, I still taste some grassy, plant-like tastes with the smoke. I'm drying the plant for seven days in a dark, enclosed space, hanging upside down, and then curing the buds in a glass mason jar. Am I doing this correctly? And will the plant taste go away over time, or should I do something else to improve that taste? Uh, it sounds like you're doing everything the way you should. I mean, I would certainly trim as much uh, leaf off as you can because some of that f taste might be coming from uh, from the leaf that you may may have left on there. Uh, it could also be the strain that you have just you know tastes like that when it's dried. Some 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 stuff is like that. So if you try you know different genetics, you might you might see a, a change in how that process works. And yeah, I mean curing takes time. So you know. Uh, over time that that grassy taste should be removed and should come out unless you sort of trapped it in there early on but seven days you know seven days is about the bare minimum you want to go um, for drying and if you can extend that to you know nine or ten days you might be able to get some of that out of there um, and that would be using you know let's say a humidifier if your humidity is uh, too low and you're drying out too fast you can put a humidifier and sort of mitigate the process and kind of meet it halfway so you stretch that drying period out a little bit and you just got to be careful uh, not to get mold at that point but 
um, yeah, it's either the strain or it's your curing process that's making that happen. And hopefully over time, uh, that flavor will leave your buds and, and you'll be tasting a, a properly cured nugget. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be kind of curious to see what his friends think about that weed taste, because sometimes when you, you're focusing so hard on that, it could kind of, you know, you, you sense it there when other people maybe don't. I'm not saying that's what's happening with Big RC, but right. definitely curious. Uh, let us know what your friends think, if there's a consensus about that, that taste that you're getting. So thank you for that question, Big, C, uh, Big RC. Let's move on to Justin, who writes, say, Dan and Mike, I've been growing indoors for about three years now. And I wanted to do one or maybe two big outdoor plants this year. I have six plants growing indoors in 30-gallon pots. The strains I'm growing are Girl Scout Cookies, LA Confidential, and Cushberry. Out of those strains, what do you think would be the best outdoors? Uh, say them again. Uh, it is uh, LA Confidential, Girl Scout Cookies, and Cushberry. Ah, you know, I think I'd go with the, the LA Confidential. I've seen that. Uh, grown outdoors to great effect and I think uh, you know you've got them in the 30 gallon containers so they're going to build up a nice root system just you know be sure to acclimate them to that outside light slowly over a few days rather than just throwing them out in f into full sun because um, you know plants do need to adjust from that indoor grow light to that outdoor sunshine um, but besides that you know it, if you just have to choose one of them to put out there I would put the LA Confidential outside um, if you could put them all outside, go for it, you know, uh, take advantage of the free grow light in the sky. And there you go. Well, hopefully that works out, Justin, and uh, follow up with us. Let us know how it does turn out. And let's move on to Zarland, who this is an interesting question because, you know, with any emerging market, and marijuana right now is a gigantic emerging market, uh, there's going to be people who are really, you know, solid business people and other people who take advantage and scam a little bit. So uh, Zarland has a question. He says, I live in Florida, which is about to pass a medical cannabis legislation. Uh, with this news, a few so-called cannabis schools have popped up offering courses in growing and getting into the industry. Now, I've been growing for a few years now, but I wonder if taking any of these courses could get my foot in the door as a legal grower. So my question is, do you think any of these schools are reputable or just scams in an emerging market? Uh, you know, it's tough to call them scams. I don't know anything about them, but the truth is uh, if you want to learn to grow, the information is out there. You know, you can listen to this podcast, take check out High Times Magazine, uh, get some of those books, the grow books that I mentioned. Nico Escondido's Grow Like a Pro DVD is there's very DVDs, good. There's DVDs, there's books, there's all kinds of information out there. And um, there's certainly no diploma that is going to get you a gig. I mean, your, your, your bud that you grow speaks for itself. Um, if you've been growing for a few years, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, keep trying to improve whatever it is that you're doing. But I don't think that you necessarily need to go to one of these schools uh, you know, Oaksterdam is a great place uh, that you can go that's fully legit and, you know, you yes, will learn. that is indeed reputable. And you'll right. learn, yeah, and you'll learn all about the business, uh, different angles that you need to know, legal, uh, getting into the business part, getting into the growing part, they do it all. Um, so that's one I would recommend. Besides that, you know, just, you know, uh, do do the, th the work that you need to do to be the, that person that you want to be. And you'll find that, uh, you know, you, you won't, your foot will be in the door. Yes. So uh, Danko says, don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind is blowing. Thank you, Zarlin, for writing in. Let's move on to Perry, who writes, I grew one plant from a feminized seed I purchased from a seed bank. The plant did not produce any male flowers, yet every bud is full of seeds. How can this be? Is it normal for female plants to grow from feminized seeds to produce seeds without being pollinated? Hmm. So Perry is perplexed. What do you think? Uh, well, I think it's one of two things. Either there was a uh, hermaphrodite uh, type situation where, uh, you know, one or two little uh, male bananas formed somewhere within that, that you know, feminized plant uh, and released pollen that, that seeded that plant. Uh, it's either that or pollen was brought in from outside somehow, you know, from uh, if he lives in an area where people are growing a lot outdoors or there's hemp plants or outdoor males or anything like that, um, that could have been brought in through his intake. It's really basically one of those two things, but it's much more likely that, uh, that the, you know, the plant was a hermaphrodite and that there were um, male flowers among those female buds that he may or may, may not have noticed, but that did 
do enough damage to release pollen and uh, seed that plant. And that's, you know, one of the things about feminized seeds is that if they're not made properly, if they're not created in a way so as to minimize that, uh, that hermaphroditic tendency, then you end up with seeded crops, which can be really bad. So uh, keep that in mind. And, you know, as I always say, if you're going to grow from clones, uh, grow out regular seeds to make them other plants. Uh, feminized seeds are, are for ease of use and for, you know, being able to just um, pull, a, pull off a crop without a lot of work. So, um, you know, keep that in mind when you're ordering and make sure you get them from reputable companies that have been making feminized seeds for a long time. All right. Sounds good, Perry. Uh, hopefully that helps answer your question. You know what? We have um, one more little topic to bring up, but I'd like to do it in the wrap. So if you're one of those people listening who usually stops listening right now, uh, stick around for the wrap. This is an interesting final question. So what do you say uh, we take a little break, come back, put a bow on it? Let's do it. All right. So here we are to wrap it up with Raw. We are currently wrapping it up with raw papers. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to episode 59. And uh, you were saying that there's another question out there in the world. Yeah. So uh, Saxman323 has been hitting me up on Twitter. And uh, basically, I I sent out a video of our strongest strains last week. It's our strongest strains of Earth, an annual uh, feature that we Uh do in the magazine. And uh, Saxman is saying that we are, uh, high times, is biased. And that the strongest strains list is a lie, and uh, he's heard of strains that have tested higher than what we list. Uh, he calls it bullshit, blah, blah, blah. So I think that we should just explain uh, how our strongest strains feature works. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's explained in the article. So the, if he bothered to read that article, he'd see that it's explained there. But we, we test every strain that's entered into our cup uh, at two different labs at every cannabis cup that we do. And that data is what we use to determine that. So just because you've heard of a you know, certain Kush that tested at 31% at one particular lab does not mean that we're going to accept that as, uh, as information that we consider valid. We would have to take that, have it tested at multiple labs, two different labs. Um, the calibration at these labs, if you you know you remember shows that we've had with Addison uh, Demora from Steep Hill Labs, which, which are you know Steep Hill Halent at the forefront of this technology, will tell you that you know calibration is important, and you know the difference between 28% and 30% THC could be a difference that's in their calibration of the lab. Another thing is is that labs sometimes uh, feel encouraged to you know report high results that might be there for their paying clients so uh you know we have these labs doing these tests for us for the cannabis cup you know it's not for payment it's not for bragging rights it's for uh you know just our data in particular so uh, like i said you may have heard of a strain that tested at 30 percent nothing that we've had entered into any of our cannabis cups has tested that highly when cross-referenced with other labs and other tests. And if we do get something that tests that high, we send it away to multiple labs to make sure because, uh, you know, we're not just looking for the highest number, we're looking for the correct number. So um, that's my answer to that. And, uh, you know, we can get Nico on here at some point to talk about it. It's his articles that... that, Yeah, we uh, should do that. We should have Nick on to discuss it. But the bottom line is you could tell us that a strain has tested 40... 50%, but, you know, we can't just report on hearsay. So everything that's in this article, we have verified as being that, you know, number. Yeah, and they have to be entered into our event to even qualify for that because that's our testing process. So um, that's the answer to that. And uh, I think 28% is a pretty high high test. And if someone's got something that's 30, they're free to enter it into a cannabis cup. They're free to uh, approach uh, Nico or any of us uh, at one of our events and, and, and with a sample that we will then send to a lab and have tested uh, at multiple labs and uh, we'll get those results. Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, just wanted to set the record straight there. We, I do appreciate your your comments, though, Saxman323. Uh, um, it is a legitimate question, but hopefully that sets the record straight. So uh, great show. Episode 59 is, is close to being done. Yeah, I think it is. You know, spring is here. Uh, People should definitely keep that in mind. It's a great time uh, for plants. It's a great time for uh, the warming of the earth. (laughs) 
the emergence of all the uh, perennials and things. Yeah? Yeah. Perennials the, are emerging. The planting of annuals. Mm-hmm. All of that. Spring all that time. stuff. Do you plant uh, any of that stuff? Of course. Yeah? Of course. I do it all. I've got tomatoes. Tomatoes. Peppers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you got to. Got to. Those are your companion plants. <laughs> Fair enough. My only companions. Oh, it's very sad. Um, all right. So, yeah, we will be back next week with episode 60 and a lot more grow info for you guys. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to the Denver Cannabis Cup 420. Incredible lineup of concerts and, and seminars and expos. And, and 30,000 of our closest friends. Yeah. The place to be on 420 for the marijuana community. Should we put it in the books? Let's put it in the books. All right. Wrap it up with raw and put it in the books. <laughs> <laughs>